0: Hello, 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 and welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Pod. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer, and I'm joining you not just on the day after Christmas, but fresh out of quarantine. Had a little bit of a COVID scare. It's what can sometimes happen when you live with roommates. Just the timing around the holidays really cannot have been worse. <laughs> it could not have been more stressful. But, you know, it's interesting. It's something that. I feared the most throughout this 10 months as a young, healthy, spry 28-year-old. I wouldn't say that falling seriously ill from COVID was my top concern about getting the virus. I mean, of course, I don't want to be sick. Who wants to be sick? But I have faith in my body that I would be able to fight it off. I know, famous last words. But I say that because my biggest fear all along was actually the forced quarantine, It's not like I'm going to Fire Island rave parties right now, don't get me wrong, but the idea that you could be infectious, contagious, you have to stay inside, not have any contact with anybody except through FaceTime, it was really daunting. Um, But I did it, and I got through with great friends and family. um, And for about a week, I would say, the quarantine is doable, more than doable, if you are fortunate enough to be comfortable as I am, live in an actual house where you have some space to move around. And that, again, is just the overriding message I have as we mercifully close the book on 2020, our last show of the year, and look ahead to hopefully a much brighter 2021. And that is, if this is not the year where you didn't recognize your privilege, then you're just... it's just... It's just not going to happen for you, I guess. I mean, that is the overriding message I have after looking back at this last year, which has been very frustrating for me, as it's been very frustrating for most, if not all of us. I mean, as a freelancer, the economy crashing certainly has not helped matters. It's been very frustrating trying to find gigs. As a young gay man, I feel like I've been robbed a year of my social life and thus my evolution and I'm fortunate to say it in the grand scheme of things, with 310,000 plus Americans dead, eight plus a million at least descending into poverty, uh, those are small complaints. But still, we made it, and we all went through our frustrations, and... Uh, You know, it it sounds trite, but this is really a time just to think about, wow, I'm still here. I mean, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. I mean, I did get in a terrible car accident on my birthday night a couple weeks ago. I don't think I shared that last week on the show. And dealing with insurance has been a pain in the ass and all of that. But uh, I need to think more like, hey, I'm still here. And and I think that's the message we all need to take as we head into 2021. Uh, At least that's what I say after a week of only seeing humans via FaceTime. And, uh, probably drinking a little too much wine and whiskey, but I did find a good new Mexican takeout place. So that's, that's a plus, but, uh, so that's my message as we wrap up 2020, head into 2021. Uh, I say this kind of crap all the time and then I seldom fall through. I still find myself worrying about the smallest things. So maybe you all can keep me in line here on this podcast. Sports Kiki, uh, one of my highlights of the year was starting the show, I started my career, if you will, as a podcaster. I mean, I was 12 years old starting my own Red Sox podcast, so we'll say aspiring career. And I did have a podcast at WEI, but this is really, this is kind of back to square one in the sense that this is my baby. I'm booking all the guests, recording it, editing it, posting it out to you. Uh, and it's it, the intimacy is still super cool. We, we don't have a massive audience. One day we will, but we have a, a very loyal audience and a nice audience. And uh, I know I've said this before, but it is amazing to me that I look at the download numbers and I see that, wow, a lot of people who I don't know are listening. And I know that because I don't know that many people, really. So so it's it's just, it's nice that the fruits of your labor are enjoyed. And, and my goal this year with this show has just been about having good conversations. You know, we have a lot of great podcasts across the Outsports Podcast Network, and when I was approached with starting mine, when I came on last January, approaching the one-year anniversary, I was thinking, you know, I have so many projects going on, and I I just didn't want this podcast to become like, another thing to do. So I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into just one particular area. My passion always has been Talking about and writing about interesting things. That's that's what I liked to do at Wei. That's what I like to do today at Outsports and Forbes and wherever else I write. I like to write about interesting things, and that's what I wanted the show to be about: interesting things, talking with interesting people. Sometimes it's sports, sometimes it isn't, but uh, hopefully you're interested at the end of the day. And in that spirit. We bring on our last guest of the year, Micah Porter. He's an OutSports mainstay. He does a lot of work in Colorado and across the country with LGBTQ inclusion in athletics. So, of course, we will talk to him about that. But really having Micah on because, well, first of all, let me tell you who he is. He is a state champion, Colorado high school uh, track coach and educator. He was an incredible college athlete as well at Hillsdale College. Uh, He came out in 2013 in an Outsports profile. And it's uh, it's a great piece written by Sid Ziegler. And Micah came out later in life. He seemingly had it all. He was married, had the great wife, the two kids, the great job, great athlete, as I mentioned, white picket fence, the postcard American life. And he was deeply depressed. He was hiding who he was. So he came out as gay and it's been a journey and evolution for him ever since. And uh, on his birthday a couple days ago, he wrote himself, his 17-year-old self, a letter titled Love Micah on his website, micaporter.com, in which for the first time he talks about his battle with alcoholism. And I get sentimental around my birthday too. So Micah's a cool guy with a really cool and great story that I think we can learn a lot from. Uh, I mean, he started the high school that he was coaching and teaching at from the ground up, literally. I mean, he was right there, a founding member of the high school, and after he came out, he was kind of shunned by the administration, and yet he persevered, so just so many lessons to learn and a good conversation with Micah Porter. Coming up on the other side, it's the Sports Kiki, episode number 46. Thank you, as always, for listening. And Welcome back to the show. As mentioned, we have an Outsports mainstay on the podcast this week, our second to last show of 2020. So I think this is appropriate. We bring on Micah Porter. He's an associate principal for Warren Tech in Colorado. It's a high school and he's a state champion track and field coach. I mentioned he's an Outsports mainstay. We're having him on, as I said in the opening, because uh, hive minds. I wrote myself a reflective birthday note on my birthday. He did the same, writing a letter to his 17-year-old self on his 48th birthday, which has just passed, and also on the fourth anniversary of his freedom from alcohol, as he describes it. Uh, the piece is titled, Love Micah. It's on his website. Uh, first of all, Micah, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend?
1: Great, Alex. Uh, good to hear your voice, and thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's good to talk to you as well outside of a Zoom, as fun as our Zooms are. Right. Uh, this is like our own little breakout room, I guess. Um, yeah. So, my first question is, you're writing this very personal letter to yourself. How many times did you cry while writing it <laughs>
1: well it was it was certainly a process, and I'm a crier uh yes, you know everyone that knows me is well aware of that, and there were times where that you know was inspiration for the words was the emotion, but at the same time there were there were definitely moments I had to step away yeah and reflect a little bit because, you know, it is a, a public proclamation of sorts and there's still things that are very personal um, to me and some things I, I decided not to share. Others, you know, felt like it was the right time. and But it was, yeah, it was a little bit of a ter- tearjerker for, for me as well.
0: I cried many times writing mine. Uh, it was about how I would tell my younger self to calm the fuck down. I spent uh, a lot of my <laughs> life driving myself crazy, and you know, I've I fantasized about writing something like that for a while. And I started my Substack, mm-hmm. and I figured here's a great opportunity. Um, was it the same for you? How long were you thinking about putting something like this out there?
1: You know, it was it was really part of a larger plan or goal for myself. I've been working on. A website for a couple years that I wanted to compile a lot of LGBTQ resources for youth and educators and for sports, and I do a lot of that work outside of my main job. And you know, as I began to develop the site, you know there was also something that was drawing me to be personal about you know the experiences I've had and you know, I, I decided I was going to make this, this section that was going to be love letters to people in my life who oh, I love have that. inspired me, um, who have, you know, been there yeah. through a lot of very difficult times. And, you know, with my anniversary from being free from alcohol coming up, I just decided this would be a good way to not only launch the site, but also start that you know, that section with a letter to myself. And um, it's taken a long time to to learn to love myself the way that I do now. And it just seemed like the fitting time. So yeah, it was a process for sure.
0: Yeah. And so let's tell your story. So I said you're an Outsports mainstay. That is true. Uh, Sid wrote your coming out story in 2014. And just for some background, I mean, you were really living the kind of uh, American postcard dream. You were a great college athlete, an educator, championship championship winning track and field coach. You have a wife, you have two kids, Um, but you were gay and you finally came out to your family in 2009. Just what prompted you to do it? And just take us back a little bit to that time in your life.
1: Sure, yeah, it was, you know, I was really at a breaking point um, in a number of ways. You know, I think through the early time through early period of my life being younger, I was able to to sort of, as we all were that that struggled with our sexual identity and orientation, I was able to mask it, you know, through sports and through just friends and, you know, kind of living, you know, that heteronormative life. And then it just, you know, it got to a point where I was finding myself sort of deeper and deeper and deeper into a lie. And it was just, it was just eating at my soul. Um, Alcohol was a big part of that. And, you know, the guilt that I felt as a father and as a husband, you know, there, there were some pretty dark times where I just wanted it all just go away. And, you know, really came to a reckoning where I, you know, I, I had very, very few choices. One was just to continue with the charade. The other was to, uh, you know, tackle this head on and try to, to live a life of authenticity and happiness, and and um, that's that's the path I chose. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's a better been, path it's been a
1: process. But yeah, much better, much better. <laughs> Certainly, I, I'll be really honest. I didn't feel like it at the time, hmm. um, but it does now. And, yeah,
0: um, yeah, yeah. And you know, I was really so I was rereading your coming out story that you did with Sid six years ago 2014 and you know you're coaching track at a conservative high school in colorado and what struck me was really this contrast that we see all the time so the administration tells you okay but you know avoid going into the locker room because we don't want potential for lawsuits and they make you change in the bathroom and generally you feel like a second-class citizen but then in your day-to-day your colleagues who know are supportive you then do come out to your mm-hmm. team against the administration's advice. They're supportive as well. Uh, and I just think that really embodies, it shows that a lot of the fear around coming out in sports, coming out in work, from our anecdotal stories, I mean, admittedly, there are, but I mean, the stories we tell, that's just such a true theme that uh, people mm-hmm. are much more supportive than, than they think they will be.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the, you know, as you, as you said, the fear is, is comes from within. And, you know, there certainly were some, there were some haters and there, I lost some friends, but you know, that comes with anything, but you know, for the most part, it was, it was a, you know, an overwhelmingly supportive culture that I, I landed in and you know, the, the LGBTQ out sports family, just welcomed me with open arms and that, that made a huge difference as well. But, and you know, those experiences that you mentioned, you know, not being able to go in the locker room or I got, you know, a little bit of hate mail and anonymous comments on stuff, but you know, that, that helped drive some of the advocacy work that I love doing now. I mean, it gave me, you know, some experience and perspective that, that really you know, identified what, what still needed to be done. And there's there's work that
0: needs to be done. How could you, uh, why did you stay at this school where you were, again, not even allowed to be in the locker room with your team? It must have been really hard.
1: Good question. Well, I was, uh, you know, I was a founder of that school. It it, it was a, a relatively new school. I was in my 17th year mm-hmm. as an educator and coach. When okay. I came out, I had started the track and field Program um, we had won um, a state title and fifteen league titles, and I had coached three championship cross country teams. Um, I would started the world religions program that I taught there. I was the department chair. Both so, my children went to went to the school.
0: So you my really built it,
1: yeah? Taught there, wow. So I was so invested. I think I was afraid just to make an abrupt change. Um, Eventually did with the prompting from my partner, you know, and, but at the time it just didn't feel right to, to pack up and go. I, I needed to be a model for the kids that were there that I did hear from that appreciated me coming out. I needed to be there for my athletes who I had committed to coaching through, you know, that season or the next. Um, and so, it, it, uh, you know, the whole decision, honestly, already felt selfish in, in you know, with my family, to, you know, falling apart and, you know, making that decision uh, to come out. And so I didn't want to exacerbate that by, you know, just bailing on, on the other people in my life that were important.
0: It, you felt selfish for coming out and being who you are. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Very much so. I
1: think that was driven just from being a dad and the pain and hurt that I knew it would cause my family. Um, and, you know, I knew that was a reality and it, it came to fruition in that regard. But, you know, those wounds have, have healed, many of them. And, and But at the time, it certainly seemed like a very selfish decision.
0: And how do you and build yourself into the person you are today from that. I mean, that's.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a, you know, it's been a process and I, I felt feel fortunate that I had, you know, a successful career as a coach and a, as an educator already under my belt. That gave me, you know, some confidence that, um you know, life was going to be okay, that I was going to be okay. I was really worried being, you know, 37 and, <laughs> you know, am I ever going to find somebody? Yeah, uh, right. Uh, that was that was terrifying, but you know, it was committed—just a commitment to the values that I had grown up with: hard work, setting goals. Um, you know, I still struggled with with the drinking piece when I when I moved uh, into my new life. Um, my partner Brandon has been there by my side through, through it all. And, and even though, and I mentioned this in my, my letter, even though he's significantly younger than me, he's got a, a wisdom and a perspective on just self authenticity that really, really helped me. And it gave me just a level of confidence and, and self love that I had never experienced before.
0: Yeah, when did you stop drinking and what was well well yeah, let's just start there. When did you stop drinking and what was the catalyst behind that? So, it was 4 years ago. Okay, uh, so you're already well, well so you're already well out at this point, you know, for years. Yep. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And you know, the 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 drinking came with me. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not something that just goes away overnight. And so it was there were so many other things in my life that were improving and that were positive, but that was something that I could not shake. Um, and I thought that I had control of, but it, it really led to me, um, you know, making some decisions that threatened my relationship with Brandon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I also felt, shitty i mean i i felt i felt horrible physically and you know i wasn't getting any younger and i could just you know athletes i think are very in tune with their body you know we know when you know when we should push ourselves and when we should rest and you know i my body just i could tell was was dying um of sorts and so came to a kind of a reckoning um and Brandon was was there you know with me and he took me to my first meeting and um I haven't I haven't had a drink since and it's just been it's it's been a like a, almost like a, a rebirth of sorts for for me physically and emotionally
0: well congratulations um and congratulations on talking about this publicly was was this the first time you talked about your your battle with alcoholism publicly in this essay
1: it is. Yeah. You know, I've mentioned it sort of just tangentially and in some you know social media stuff. Because I not, noticed it wasn't it part of it,
0: your coming out story you did with us.
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, I don't think anybody knew, Alex, that I was an alcoholic other than me. Hmm. And I haven't denied it. I mean, I drank. You know, I never I never went to work drunk, but I drank heavily after work. Um, I was I was a functioning alcoholic. And, you know, it, it was something that it was another level of denial that I needed to fix. And, um, you know, I, you know, it's a, it's a life struggle. And it will be I've, I've accepted that. But um, it certainly is one that I'm glad, at least for now is in the rearview mirror.
0: Something that I'm always interested about is like I came out when I was 20 years old. So I've had plenty of time to have fun in my 20s. But still at 28, I feel like I am still making up for lost time and losing like a year due to COVID certainly isn't helping matters. Um, So, you know, I'm always wondering, you know, for people who come out later in life like you, you know, you you find a partner quickly. I mean, what are those? uh, Because, I mean, you must feel like you've lost out on decades of time.
1: You know, I, there, there've been times where I've thought or maybe that, not. but yeah. you know, you, you can't go there. I mean, right. that's, that's something where it's just, you can't have regrets. And of course we do, but you know, I have to, you know, I had to focus on the now, um, you know, I fell in love with a beautiful younger man and we have had almost now 10 years together.
0: Congratulations!
1: Of, uh, of, thanks. Of just living, you know, the life we have and, Sure. Yeah. You know, it would have been great to have been in my twenties and been out and, you know, explored my, my sexual identity more, but that, that isn't it. So I, you know, in some way I think I try to do that vicariously with some of the advocacy work I do, Yeah. you know, by helping younger people and, and, you know, giving them resources and, and support. So, but, you know, there's certainly a piece of that, you know, we're not, neither of us are really into the scene so you know we don't we don't go out and and you know do a lot of the stuff that that members of our community do it's just you know we enjoy our time together and um you know love you know love being a, a partner partnership uh, in the way that we can so
0: yeah, no, it, it, it's great. And I think, you know, part of the age thing, you know, so I'm 28. And one of my best friends is 42. The other another one is 39. And I feel like, you know, because we're all gay, and we're all kind of on this journey together, I feel like age, in the gay community is not like, I don't know, I don't have many, tw- I don't know many 28 year old kids I went to high school with who are going out yeah. on Saturday night with 42 year olds as like their best friends. But I but and that's very common, though, in the gay community. And I think, I know it's interesting that I think that age is more really more than just really just a number in the gay community more than I think the straight straight community. I don't know. Just just my observation. Yeah, no.
1: I, I agree. I think, you know, really boils down to and this is something that Brandon kind of his his background is sort of, you know, what's your lifestyle like? What yeah. what are your goals? And our, you know, our lifestyles match, you know. We like the same things. We we enjoy the same experiences we everything from food to movies to travel and so the age piece sure you know there have been times where people looked at us or you know (laughs) are you brandon's dad no! (laughs) which you know it's kind of funny but you know that it's more about the those common enjoyments that you have than the years between you now i'll be honest i mean i really try to take care of myself yeah. because I want to be a fun, energetic, healthy partner, um, and I want to look good for him and myself. So, you know, that's been a huge motivation um, in terms of, of being in a relationship with a younger man. But yeah, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a of an issue um, in, in the gay community for sure.
0: And and look good for the quarantine Zooms, forgot that as well. Um, (laughs) So I wanted to also ask about, uh, and you've mentioned this, your work with LGBTQ inclusion in sports. Uh, You Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about it, but what do you do and why did you decide to get involved?
1: So, you know, I've I've been involved with a couple of organizations, primarily
0: through You Can Play,
1: I uh, was connected from Sid and Outsports through them when I came out earlier, and they're two of the founders are here in Denver. So that, you know, that was a a really healthy connection for me to to start getting involved. And, you know, I really found that my, you know, my background in education, I had a number of years there as well as in coaching. It it was it allowed me to take some of those deep experiences I had and apply them to something that could really change, you know, the life of, of young people. And so, you know, my, you know, my advocacy is really through youth. So I have lots of coaches both here in Colorado and across the country that reach out that have challenges with, you know, young people on their team and they need help. What do I do? And so, you know, through the years, I've just compiled, some, you know, resources and just try to be a conduit for people. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. But, you know, I think my own experience as a coach and a teacher um, and, you know, being a part of the, the LGBTQ community has afforded me, you know, a voice that, that people are, are uh, welcoming. Um, I'm also not really you know, I've been told this a few times by coaches and ADs that I don't come across as like a, um, like an external, I don't want to say threat, but you know, that I'm, I'm not going to come in and try to change the program or, you know, I'm, I'm there just to be a resource, talk to the kid, talk to the AD, talk to the Mm -hmm. coach, you know, here's, here's why that language matters. Here's how you can change your policies um, here's how you can communicate with parents on the team. Um, this needs to be included in your, you know, beginning of the year presentation to all coaches about inclusion. And so giving them real sort of, I guess, accessible and tangible ways to just make things better. And so it's just, you know, it's just been a process of, you know, getting, building relationships with Glisten and and GLAD and You Can Play and, you know, a number of different organizations, Trevor Project. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been been a it been a fun part of the work.
0: Yeah, and, and and what do you find the attitude is with high school kids and LGBTQ acceptance now, from your experiences?
1: Yeah, most most of the time, there it, it's never a kid problem. Hmm. Um, there's a little bit, you know, in some of the some of the sports that might you know, have a tendency to be a little bit more um, heteronormative like football or something like that. You might get some bullying situations or language that a coach is using on the sidelines um, that, that, you know, a kid is bothered by, but, you know, from a young person to a young person, there's very little of that. It's really an adult problem. Um, Coaches and parents and fans that, that say things a lot of it's you know casual homophobia or homophobic language um you know I had a coach this fall that you know was using the term queen hmm. over and over and over again to describe poor play by like, some of
0: his players like you're playing like a and queen
1: exactly not yas queen like but you're playing queen. like a queen <laughs> yeah. exactly and you know, I had a kid reach out to me and say, I don't know what to do about this. It's really bothering me. I'm not gay, but it just seems wrong. It seemed, you know, so I, I had a relationship with, with one of the other coaches at that school. I reached out, it put me in contact with BAD. And eventually I had a conversation with the coach, and he felt horrible. Like he didn't, it didn't even register in his mind that this was having the, the impact that it was having. And, you know, we talked through it and I, you know, it's a lot, a lot of it's about be willing to, you know, admit your mistakes and and you don't know what you don't know and just move from it. And he's become, you know, a, a great advocate for inclusion now. He's like, well, next year, can we, would you come in and talk to the program about language and inclusion? And so, you know, those are the kinds of those little inroads that you make where you know you have voices in the in the sports community that that can really change things as much as you might be able to.
0: Yeah. And you approach it as a conversation, not a not an admonishment. Right, you can't.
1: I mean, you know, you can't do that. It's got to be you know, it's got to be one that's that's welcoming and done with uh you know a little bit of st- uh strategy for sure.
0: Uh, Micah Porter, follow him on Twitter, at Micah A. Porter. And also go to MicahPorter.com, his website. He has some resources on there. And as we said, his letter, Love Micah. Uh, Micah, loved talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it.
0: So thanks to Micah for coming on and chatting with us and uh, chatting with me. That's my New Year's resolution, to stop speaking in the royal we whenever I do a podcast. (sighs) Ah. Thanks to Micah for coming on. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. I hope you all have a great, happy, and healthy, healthy New Year. And we'll reconvene next weekend to look ahead to 2021. Maybe my, these dulcet tones will be the, the first sounds you hear in your earbuds as you uh, get ready for the New Year. Here's hoping. So enjoy the rest of the holidays. And we'll talk to you next week.